0: Hello, I'm John Kelly and this is a podcast of Mystery Train. For rights reasons, the music is shorter than in the original programme. Mystery Train hits the rails Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on RTE Lyric FM. Music there from Adrian Crowley, and we'll discover later if it's Crowley or Crowley. We've been talking about this for a long time on this programme, but Adrian is my guest tonight. Every Sunday night on Mystery Train, we get someone in to pick the tunes, and tonight it is Adrian Crowley. Crowley.
1: Well, I say Crowley.
0: Well, Crowley Crowley, <laughs> Crowley it is from here on in. So it's good to have you here. You're kind of a hard man to get, because the last time we, we, we sent out signals for you, you were in New York.
1: Yeah, how, was. Long, how
0: long ago was that? That's not that long ago, is it?
1: Actually I've been in New York every year for the last 3 years around the same time of the year.
0: The last time you were there was with with a movie score.
1: Yeah, that's right. That was that was just a few weeks ago. Uh I went over with four other lads, one being Barry Adamson from many bands, the Bad Seeds. He's and Barry a, Adamson himself—he's got a
0: new uh, compilation album just out. of, of Yeah, spanning of,
1: forty years yeah. of his career. But
0: the title's called M- *Memento Mori*, which is a sort of a, a signal. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Barry, who else? Barry Adamson, and who else?
1: Sean MacRoryne, who you yeah. know well. Yeah. Kevin Murphy, who you know well, I imagine. Mm. Uh, Matthew Nolan. Very good. And, and you
0: played live score to what was the movie?
1: Yes, it's a movie called *The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse*. By an Irish director called Rex Ingram, and was made back in the twenties, mm. and he was actually born in Rathmines and moved to Hollywood. Made his name there, and then was kind of forgotten in yeah. the history of film.
0: So the, this was happening at the this was happening at the Lincoln Center, wasn't it? Which is quite a well, it is a prestigious venue.
1: Absolutely, yes. It was part of the New York Film Festival, and the 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 room we played in. Is was the um, it's the Walter Reed Theater, which is used by the Film Society of New York. And interestingly enough, Martin Scorsese lent us his print of the film to use for the gig. Isn't that kind of cool? He
0: he knows his well, he knows his movie history, but he's he's an interest in the Irish side of it.
1: Yes, particularly has
0: John Ford and all the rest of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well,
0: so there you go. Marty didn't show up, did he?
1: No, he did send some of his. Staff there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he sent other people to watch it. Yeah, forum. yeah. Well, we'll all do that in the future. So um, anyway, so that's why you weren't here last week, or the three weeks ago. You're in New York playing live. Did you enjoy that? Is it what sort of what does that feel like as a musician? What what do you have to to do? Are you watching the film, or is someone else sort of conducting you, or what?
1: Well, actually, no one conducts us when we do this. We this is this was our third time performing the piece. The first time was in St. Patrick's Cathedral for St. Patrick's Festival last year. And it was very unusual for me. I'd never really done anything like that before. Um, we all got together in a room and basically wrote the score together. And everyone seemed to have a little little riff or whatever that they thought yeah. might work. But we, we we came up with everything in a short space of time and rehearsed with the film there in front of us. You know, we'd pause all the time and talk about what we're going to do next. We had an idea of the emotional impact of, well, the entire film and what where not to play and where we thought we should cut loose a bit and and then live. Actually, New York was the first time where where we didn't have a monitor to look at because usually we'd have a little on-stage monitor so we wouldn't be craning our necks around the big screen. Mm. But in New York, we had just the big screen and. It was very surreal. I, I felt we were inside the film, you know. And uh, I think we all went into a trance at some stage, which, you know, you can easily miss a cue if you go into that state of mind. But
0: you kind of think of those guys in the old days who had to play the organ live to uh, horror movies. and What a job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, a job's a job. We uh, played a track just at the top of the programme, I don't know if I credited it or not, from the album Dark Eyed Messenger, your most recent album. Um, a song called "The Wish." Um, We'd we'll maybe play something else from you as, as the night goes on, but you're here tonight to pick your own, your own choices of music, Adrian. Yes. And, uh, your first choice is Robert Wyatt. Is that what you want to go first?
1: Yes, exactly. Sea Song by Robert Wyatt.
0: Now tell me about Robert Wyatt. I, I've I've interviewed him. He's <coughs> a fascinating man. But wh- yeah. why, what what appeals to you most about Robert Wyatt?
1: Well, uh, his sweetness, his beauty. Is, he's he's got something very special. He's got humour, and he just breaks my heart. You know, I've never met him. Um, I just, I just think of him as some kind of uncle figure. And that, did you, you know,
0: were you aware of him? Because I, I think I knew his music before I realized anything about Soft Machine and his history and all of that.
1: Yeah, I, I, when I first heard him, I didn't know about Soft Machine. I had vaguely heard of him, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. Then I, then I discovered he played drums with them. Um, and. Yeah, he's got so many beautiful records. I, I discovered them, I don't know how long ago, 20, 25 years ago or something. And this, this song was is from an album that was re released by Domino a number of years ago called uh, Rock Bottom.
0: Mm-hmm. And this, which one was Sea Song? That's the opening song on this album. Yeah. So, Sea Song from Robert Wyatt. Mm-hmm. and that sea song from Robert Wyatt from the album Rock Bottom the first choice tonight of Adrian Crowley is with me in studio picking all the tracks you can tell you can tell from that its uh, something about Adrian's own aesthetic there that's not a 3 minute hit wonder is
1: it uh-huh. no it he it's kind of hit. goes against any idea of convention it's a he? big
0: it's a big well you, the word sprawling sounds like it's something wrong with that it's not sprawling but it's it's a complex well put together thing
1: absolutely and just when you think the song is ending you know you're coming into what you assume as the outro, it just goes on and on and keeps meandering and swimming away. I suppose maybe that's that's what it was referenced to.
0: And you mentioned there while it was playing that you discovered that Bowie, was, uh, that was his favourite song.
1: Yeah, I only discovered that um, two years ago. I, I was thrilled, you know. Um, you know the kind of stuff that happens. You go down a uh, foxhole on YouTube and discover these weird... Old interviews transferred from VHS, and there was an interview with him in a hotel room, and he he was answering questions that fans had put to him by letter. You know, so he's reading out the questions uh, from pieces of paper, and one of them was, "What's your favourite song?" And he said, "Sea Song" by Robert Wyatt, and it it I even I liked him even more after that (laughs) Bowie that is, and I love Bowie.
0: Terrific. So, uh, Adrian, where are you from? Because this is complicated.
1: It is, actually.
0: Well, maybe not in your head, but it was it, it was to me when I tried to figure it out.
1: Well, for a start, John, the very question I find very difficult to answer, the question that when someone puts to you in passing, they say, where are you from? I, I really don't know how to answer that question a lot of the time. Does that mean where I live now, North Strand, <laughs> or where I grew up, uh, mostly Galway? Or where I was born Malta
0: and How did that come about? Because even though Malta is relatively close to us I don't really know much about Malta I suspect, unless you've been there on holidays It's a bit of a mystery to most of us
1: It is, it's an independent country has its own language um, Well the reason why I was born there Is my mother is Maltese Right. And um, before I was born The family lived in West Africa In, in Sierra Leone And um, her there family
0: was, or your dad's family?
1: Well, uh, well, the family that I'm from. Oh, so, you, so my you, father and my older siblings. So it is <laughs> my family? Where I'm right. from? <laughs> yes.
0: So what, what? What? You know, what were they doing in Sierra Leone? There? Well,
1: my father is an engine was he's retired now, a structural engineer, and he worked for a a Scottish firm, um, and they worked. He had jobs in Libya and West Africa, working on road infrastructure, structural engineering. Right. And his his work brought him around. Right. And my mother was living in uh, just outside Benghazi in Libya um, when they met. They met in a sandstorm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and my mother, you know, my mother's story is just so incredible. She wrote a book about her early life. And that's in there. What's it called? It's called Beyond the Ghibli.
0: Beyond the Ghibli. And what's what's her name, by the way?
1: Her name is Vicky Crowley.
0: Vicky Crowley, beyond the Ghibli, I must check that out. Do any of these aspects of that background impact on you? I mean, do you feel that you're in any way Maltese, or you know? Yes, I do.
1: It's funny though. Um, I never really know. I mean, I, I was back in Malta recently with my family, and and uh, I felt I felt really at home in certain parts. In Valletta, for instance, one afternoon I went walking through the streets and uh, and I was taking photographs and I, I found I was in this really calm state. It was just amazing. Like, like I felt I somehow belonged or some part of me belonged to that street. And then I looked up at the sign, the street sign, and it was... Um, a street where my great-grandfather and grandfather grew up, you know. Wow. And I get the same feeling, though, in, in the west of Ireland. But growing up, I I never really f- could tell you, you know, where I sh- where I really did belong. I, I still don't really it's know. It's interesting
0: what you say, because normally, you know, you ask somebody where they're from, they'll tell you they're from Mayo or they're from Dublin or whatever it is. And you don't think that for some people that, that is actually a complicated question.
1: It is, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really feel like I w- I was in an, an, an especially uh, Irish household, mm. you know, what with all the travelling we were always doing and um, also all my siblings. At one point we were all from different countries, born in different countries. Really? See, I said from. <laughs> <laughs> so You're Born in different countries. And what
0: language was spoken in the house then?
1: Oh, at home was always English. Yeah.
0: But your mother obviously spoke Maltese. Oh, yes. And did she speak Maltese to you?
1: I'd pick it up. Her mum yeah. would o- often visit, and they'd only converse in Maltese. Mm. And her sister and brothers, um, they spoke in Maltese all the time. And so I, I picked up phrases, and I really wanted to learn. I suppose my mother said, well, "Well, you know, you don't, you don't really need it, do you? You're going to school in Salt Hill and." Way, uh, yeah, but you know. <laughs> if you find yourself in
0: Valletta and you suddenly get this feeling and you realise you're on the street where your great-grandfather lived, you, yeah. maybe, maybe you should know the Maltese Yeah, as well, you know? and
1: when Maltese. I'm there, everyone assumes I am Maltese and I've never left the island. Yeah. And people speak to me and what Maltese. About, what
0: about things like food and music and so on in the house? Did your mother bring much of that with her from, from Malta?
1: Yeah, yeah, good question. Well, um, f- food-wise, it was yeah very much Mediterranean-infused. In- food that we ate. Oh, sounds great. Yeah, and uh, lots of pasta, lots of um, homemade pizzas, <laughs> lots of, uh, there's a dish called timpana, which I, I love, always have loved, and capers, which is a very Maltese thing, and confectionery that my grandmother would bring over called Helwata Torque. My grandmother would just open up her suitcase and about 50 packets of those would fall out and, you know. Good days. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Good days Wild is the wind from Nina Simone choice of Adrian Crowley who's with me in studio tonight picking all the tracks so Adrian uh, when you first started to find music that that kind of you really let's skip through the usual kind of I heard such and such on top of the pops or whatever it was but let's get to the point where you're actually Um, you know, you you want to kind of buy your own records or you want to own your own records and you find people that are yours.
1: Yeah. um, Well, actually, it started off with um, cassettes that my sister, Deborah, used to make from the radio. And I would get these songs into my head. I'd get the cassette into my Walkman and play it and play it. uh, Many, a lot of the time, not knowing what the songs were. Mm. And um, so I, I'd confuse things all the time, you know. And by the time I was in, say, Intercert, I I I didn't know what a compilation album was. I'd no i I'd no idea. Mm. I was a real loner anyway, and so it was really when I came to Dublin to go to college.
0: And and, and then what happened? To your musical uh, your musical journey.
1: Well, I. I was studying something that I was working hard on but I didn't really love and Which is what? architecture right and
0: well you need to be committed to that all right it's a absolutely of course
1: yeah and you know I worked and worked at it but I wasn't happy and I had a guitar with me that I borrowed from my younger brother and uh, I started writing songs in in my flat and I I had friends who were in, like, Dublin guitar bands. And I used to go to the Bagot Inn and McGonagall's and the Underground, the Whitehorse, all these different places. Later on, the Funnel, just saw hundreds and hundreds of gigs. Oh, yeah, and then eventually Whelan's. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so uh, still I was just picking things up as I went along, and I'd, a song would stick in my head, like, say... Um, "The White Lady loves you more" by Elliot Smith, for instance, and I would just obsess over that song for months and months and months. I I'd, I'd kind of, I, I'd, I'd obsess over songs and single albums and um, just try and I'd just try and figure out what what it was what, what is this that is making me feel this way? What is it?
0: Yeah cuz I was just about to ask you there when you say you obsess over a song for months on end is it are you obsessing over the emotions in the song or are you obsessing over how it was put together
1: well the mystery behind the song of and you know the story of the of the singer not knowing anything about their life that's a big thing and i imagined always where that must have come from the story of the song or the magic between the notes the words and everything That kind of strange, amorphous quality that that badly copied music has, and you don't really understand what is making the sounds and what you know how it actually managed to get recorded, you know, in in what seems like this kind of um, just a moment captured at the right time, and I think at the time I was wondering I was. Already being seduced by the idea of making a record without ever really thinking I would ever make a record, you know?
0: Mm. I want, uh, let me come back to that about making a record because given what you've just described, it sounds like you haven't really you didn't go through the normal sort of situation of a bunch of kids meet up at school and they form a band and they, they want to do a gig or they want to show off to the girls or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, that, that, that sort not. of story doesn't seem to have been yours at all.
1: No, no. Like, I don't mean to go on and on and say that how much of a loner I was, but many, many songwriters and solo artists that I know, they come from, you know, an earlier history of being in bands. Mm. I never was. Mm. I never used to go into a room with, with like, teenage friends and bash it out on an old drum kit. I never did that. Uh, Later on I did in my 20s when I would um, try and get a band together for my own songs and we'd go into rehearsal studios but that was something else. I I was paying for a rehearsal studio. It wasn't the same as going to someone's house on a Saturday morning or something and, you know, just making noise.
0: The one question I haven't asked you, which I should have, is when did you first pick up a guitar? I mean, when did that become a possibility for you?
1: Um, I was in secondary school. There was a guitar at home. And I I would just secretly play. Yeah. Not not like it was against the law or anything. It's just that I was so shy about my music. And um, I'd get sort of shakes. You know, my hands would start shaking if I... If when I managed to put two two chords together or three chords together and pick out a melody, I'd get this unbelievable rush, and uh, I I took that as some kind of sign, you know.
0: <laughs> Your next musical choice, and there's plenty more to talk about. And this this guy will set it up, I'm sure. What
1: we what we could talk about after this? You want you want to play a track by Lou Reed? I love this song, and I only just discovered it three years ago. Vanishing Act, and it's words by Edgar Allan Poe.
0: And that's "Vanishing Act" from uh, Lou Reed. The choice of Adrian Crowley is with me in studio. It is gorgeous. That is. I it? love it yeah, so yes, much. It really is. And and again, I can see with you know the music that you're you're, you're choosing. You know, there is this aesthetic that, that you have, which we can maybe talk about it some a little bit later on when you get to know me better. Yeah. <laughs> so, but <laughs> okay. just just to come back to what you were saying there, you, and you've probably answered this question already because you did describe you know what it was like when you found you put a couple of chords together and you got this physical kind of rush and thrill of actually composing something that you felt uh, was, was on the way to somewhere. But, but I'm kind of curious, though, and, and Lou Reed is, a, is another example of it. Lou Reed began as a poet. Yeah. And, you know, he became a songwriter for purely professional reasons. I mean, he was writing kind of songs for Pickwick and, you know. That's uh, right, yeah. ad- Advertisements and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, the the, the poetic impulse... Is there? So I'm wondering, you know, given that you were a loner and you know, and all these shy about your work and all this kind of stuff, why not just you know write poems?
1: Good question. Good question. And um, you know, I suppose many teenagers scrawl uh, overwrought lines into the backs of copybooks, and I I did, and um, but it was it was songs that really held this kind of unreal, unnatural, unworldly, otherworldly mysticism for me. Uh, poetry did as well. Um, but to me, music was m- more mysterious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I never really wanted to fully understand it. You know, what makes a song? Um, but now, I'm 50 now and... Uh, I, I've been looking back at <laughs> what I've done up to now and where I want to go. And I've I've been looking at my notebooks again, thinking, did I write this? What is this? It's not a song. Is this the start of a book? Could this be a poem? So it, it all blurred together and it still does. But I would like to maybe see if I can gather up all the things that aren't songs and put them in between two covers.
0: Yeah. What other songwriters uh, uh, attracted you? That is, as, I mean, was as it, brilliant like, lyricists. Th- were they the obvious ones, if you know? What yeah, I mean? the obvious ones,
1: yeah. like the the ones that were on those cassettes, yeah. and uh, and um, th- that I still love. You know, like Leonard Cohn. And part of me doesn't want to mention Leonard Cohn because yeah. so many people tell me, "Oh, you're obviously influenced by." Len Laughing Boy can't. Well yeah, maybe I am, but um But there was another whole other
0: generation of people then as well, you know, like Bill Callahan and and and, and well you mentioned Elliot Smith as well. Um but Bill Callahan in particular actually is yes. probably the closest to, to what you do. And my to my mind, and there may be others, that's why I'm asking uh-huh. I guess whether other people.
1: Yeah, and I think I have all his albums actually. Mm. And I think he is well, I was gonna say underrated, I don't think he is that underrated now, yeah. but I would consider him as possibly the best songwriter yeah. in the world right See, now. See, <laughs> it's
0: just that, this, that that generation will never attain the status of Cohen and Dylan and those sorts of people. It's just not yeah. going to happen. I'm sure he's on your list here somewhere. He is he? Yes. Well, maybe we should play him now. Okay. Um,
1: Under the moniker Smog. Um, oh,
0: there is Rock Bottom Riser. Yep. Okay, let's hear. it. This is Smog, um, uh, Bill Callahan. Rock Bottom Riser there from Smog. That's uh, Bill Callahan. The choice of Adrian Crowley is with me in the studio. I'm not surprised you picked uh, Bill Callahan tonight. But uh, what, what's what's interesting? we were just talking about that while it was playing. I'd say if, when someone hears Bill Callahan for the first time, they think, "What's what's going on here?" You yeah. know. And yet that's that's a pretty straightforward in one way song. I mean, the chords and everything is pretty
1: straightforward. Yeah, it's musically a class- it is. Classical
0: ending on it. You know, the classic end. Exactly. And uh, and yet there's some kind of there's some kind of, what's the word, gravitas that he has, you know?
1: That's exactly what I would say it has, gravitas. But, you know, musically, say, if, if you were to um, tr- try and take it apart chord by chord or whatever, uh, the first time you hear it, the first time I heard that, and many people would probably have thought the same, is that you you kind of know what chord's coming next. and And then when it does fall the way you expected it to, you're happy it did. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the feeling, just the simplicity, the beauty of, of the whole song, you feel like it just couldn't have been any other way and it sounds like it has always existed, <laughs> you know?
0: And you said just before we played that you reckon he's the be- he f- To you, he is the greatest songwriter. I,
1: I know it's a pretty big thing to say, but I've said that a few times to yeah. myself. I would say so, yeah, I think so. Good. Right now, this, today... <laughs> At this moment? <laughs> this At moment. this moment, yeah. <laughs> Sitting in this chair, I would say yes.
0: Okay, your next choice is Aldous Harding, who um, I must say I love Aldous Harding. She's from New Zealand, is that right? She's yes. On,
1: uh, I, I finally got to see her play live this time last year in Paris, and she put on this incredible show, really bewitching, and I just think she's a very special artist. This is called Imagining My Man.
0: Alice Harding there, imagining my man, the choice of Adrian Crowley, who's with me in studio tonight picking all, all the tracks. So that that kind of uh I've used the word aesthetic a couple of times, which I prefer to avoid, okay. but 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 I'm just curious when when you hit on this aesthetic that, that you you have of you know, you're 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 not ABBA, you're not A C D C you're not you're not you're not blasting stuff out. Uh, it's quite the opposite. It's pared down and it's... Sp- I'm not saying you're always going to be this, this but, but yeah. what you've done so far has been pared down, sparse, unshowy. Yes. You know, and uh, introspective and all of those things. Um, is, is that just is that just who you are and it's always going to be that?
1: Or uh, no. Well, I think what I have is, is all those things, but I think there's something else too. I feel uh, this kind of real... Um, need to communicate and in the moment yeah. say for instance a live show it might be very it might be quiet and sparse mm-hmm. but I have I suppose I've played so many concerts now and this thing struck me recently I was in New York and playing a gig with a bunch of other people right before I went on stage there was some, someone in a monkey mask doing a performance art piece rolling around on the floor and I was thinking how am I going to follow this? <laughs> You know, because I do sparse introspective, moody stuff, mm. and this is in a Manhattan free gig in Manhattan, you know uh but um, I don't think what I do is nombralistic, if you know what I mean. I'm yes. not like staring at my
0: belly button, yeah, it's not so, shoe,
1: no, I don't think yeah, so, yeah, and so much of it is 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 about um reaching maybe putting my hand on someone's shoulder in some way.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what about, what do you think, or do you think about the performative part of it? And Again, I'm thinking of Lou Reed and, you know, that song. His argument, or not his argument, what he would say was, I want everybody to believe every word that I'm saying, even even if it's not about me. These songs are, you know, not necessary, but, but I want you to believe every word, and I am literally whispering in your ear absolutely which is different from you know obviously the bombastic pop or rock music it's a different approach it's it's an intimate thing
1: it is an intimate thing and also it's it's really when i think about it it's um it's about empathy to other humans yeah and um just because a song isn't blatantly autobiographical doesn't mean that you can't wear it mm. inhabit it inhabit it and and and, and um stir something in someone else through it and i think that's about empathy you know and uh, i i i think i would hope that's part of what m- makes me do what i do as well you know the empathy
0: and in terms of the you know the loner aspect or the shy aspect and all of that you know, you're not you're not you're not uh, awkwardly shy it's not that you can't talk to people but but
1: now I can. <laughs>
0: yeah. But when but, but you start singing songs like that, though, and you are sh- I mean, I think a lot of people sometimes have a concern. Of, or, uh, I think sometimes people are confused because they see performers, actors in particular, doing the most outrageous things. And then they go on talk shows and say how shy they are. And it's hard to acquit the thing, because most people who are think themselves shy think I could never do that. And yeah. yet you get up and sing these songs. And it must have been at some point a very difficult step to take.
1: I do remember the very day where I thought okay I'm I'm pretty nervous this is my first gig I, I didn't sleep the night before uh it felt like right the morning of the first gig it felt like the worst idea I'd ever had to put myself through this yeah. and it was almost like you know throwing myself into this really scary situation to come out the other side um, and without doing it, I just knew I would never, without doing it that first time, I knew I'd never be able to yeah. get up on the stage. And there, there is this kind of, yeah, it, it doesn't really make sense when you look at it like that. But we have many sides. Sometimes we just don't show them all.
0: And when you're on stage and you're in the middle of a gig, do you feel, as some performers say, that's the happiest place for me? Oh, yeah. That's I'm absolutely it's, at my best.
1: Yeah, I, I just feel... I feel like that's where where I should be at that moment in time, if if my monitor mix is just right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And what do you like after a gig?
1: After a gig, oh.
0: I mean, can you talk to people? Do you want to be in a darkened room? Do you want to go out in the town? What happens? Well, when-
1: I want to do all those things mm. at the same time. You know, it's very confusing. And if I'm on tour, uh, a lot of the time I'm totally by myself on tour. Only recently I I brought along great person who is the tour manager and driver and buddy and now I, I'll never go back I'll always have someone with me I think mm. but on tour I'd jump off the stage then I'll be manning the merch table and if it's if it's around Europe there's usually people there waiting to talk to me or either if, if not to purchase a record they just want to talk and I love talking to people and I'm making all these mistakes because you know You've just performed. You've just like laid yourself bare, and then you're supposed to do mathematics right afterwards. You know, you know <laughs> what I mean. It's really difficult. So I'm always making these huge mistakes and leaving money behind, and going back the next day to see if I can find this little envelope of you merch did. money. <laughs> you, you need an organisation now. Yeah, you,
0: you really do. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and uh, we'll be right back after this. And this is Mystery Train, on RTE Lyric FM, the Sunday Night special, where we get someone to pick the tracks. and tonight it's Adrian Crowley who's picking all the music for us. And uh, I'm not sure where we left this. We Adrian. We were talking about um, yeah. performance and you know uh, shyness and, and the, effects, oh, yes. the effects of performance and what it does to you and all of those things. Yes.: Do you still, however, you know when you mentioned at the start that you got this actual physical rush? Uh, when you when you compose music and you compose a song, do you still get that?
1: I do, yeah. If I don't get it in some way, I feel what what I have there isn't really right. Right. So, so yeah, it's it's kind of um, deceptive as well because sometimes, uh, well, it's you know writing music, writing songs. Uh, if you ask me what what is my typical way, I can't really remember. It just happens. And, um, well,
0: then, what kind of a setup do you have then? Cause you, th- that might give us some picture. Are you still writing in the bedroom, if you know what I mean?
1: Yes, yeah. There's. Um, in the room in my house where I write, the bedroom, <laughs> I think I must have written about um, 50 songs in there. And uh, there's something about that room that works for me, you know, and having the instruments close at hand. Uh, but I never really know where it comes from or how the next one will come although I am, I must say I am kind of like a, I'm haunted by the sort of like spectres of many songs at the same time yeah. all asking me for some attention and they don't really leave me alone so, and do,
0: do you write on guitar or keyboard or what?
1: Uh, guitar and piano Yeah, and mostly yeah and uh, I have um, I have a 21st century version of a Mellotron, which I really love. It's like my favorite new toy. And that's really, really handy for, for kind of getting an atmosphere. You say if I have words of a song coming, but I I don't really feel like playing guitar or piano. I'll just maybe paint an atmosphere of, of sort of like ambient, ambient sounds. And then that will affect the way I sing and the way the words come out and the space and everything. So that's very exciting.
0: How important was it in terms of this process to wind up working with someone like Thomas Bartlett, who produced Dark Eyed Messenger your last album because Thomas is a man who would have all sorts of ideas and so on Yes, Um, and he's worked with great people I mean he's done so much great work Um, you know in trying to make in trying to make uh, make your make your product better which I suppose is a producer's job you know to make it make it as good as it can possibly be and to bring Another imagination to yeah in, into play.
1: Well, that was an amazing thing to happen, and very fortuitous too. We the the way we met was we were um, both involved in this uh, special concert, two concerts in the National Concert Hall on the reinterpretation of William Butler Yeats and poetry, and we just got on really well. You know, and at the end of the first night, he said to me. Would you like to make a record sometime? And I said absolutely. <laughs> so a few months later, I was over in New York, and but the thing is, it was so fresh for me; it was very refreshing that uh, he had these strong ideas about how he thought maybe he could present my songs in in a way that they hadn't been presented before. Um, and I'm not very precious about instrumentation, you know. I'm precious about. The music and yeah, the words. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily have to, everything have to have, say, a guitar. So he, the first suggestion he c- came to me with was to um, drop the guitar entirely. And he was really amazed when I said, yeah, no problem. But I always wanted to make a record with no guitar. And for some that sounded pretty drastic, but as an idea, but to me, no. But it was very important for me to um, to click with him the way I did and we, we, we will do more work together I think you know
0: and what sort of a presence is is Thomas in the studio No, I mean I, I know Thomas he's been yes. on this programme and a lot of people listening will know him from the gloaming and all that but I'm, I mean I've never worked with him in that context and I'm just curious what, what sort of a um, uh, dynamic he has in in his studio it's I can't imagine sh- I can't imagine him shouting and roaring that's not sure. at all
1: he, he mostly smiles and giggles yeah and uh, it's like um, being invited into someone's bedroom and you know it's a little small workspace he has with a big high window with his pianos around and one microphone in the middle of the room and and it's just so easy going and uh, he's got his piano there who he just say he'd ask me what song would you like to do next, and he'd play it on the piano and I'd sing along, and then he he kind of would say, Uh, should we go for a take Yeah, absolutely, and it was just so easy, yeah. you know, single takes for everything then the whole record was done in four days five, let's say five, yeah, five days, so he didn't I didn't feel like I was under pressure. it was very much. Like like being in someone's flat, just and, having fun. And how did
0: you, how did you react then to your your own music, you know, being represented in this in this way?
1: Well, it made me very proud because all the thought that I had put into the arrangements and writing, in the demos, um, all those little things, all those ornaments, all the spaces, the the unusual shifts. Um, that the music had in the demos they were all kept the exact same way in the reinterpretation that Thomas brought to it so I felt proud that that these these rough recordings were like blueprints Mm. but then also proud that someone like Thomas was moved by it and moved by what I do and was willing to just um, kind of let himself fall into the music you know
0: I think we should probably play something else from the album that I okay. just talked about. What about Valley of Tears? I always like that one. Sure. Valley of Tears, Adrian Crowley from Dark Eyed Messenger, and Adrian's with me in studio tonight, picking all the tracks. Now, this this next track you're going to pick, Adrian, is uh, it'll need a bit of introduction because it is one hour, four minutes, and eleven seconds long. So, yes, unless we decide to really. Uh, go rogue we can't really do that yeah so David Sylvia
1: well this album um it seemed to have it seemed to have just come out without me knowing about it till a couple of years later and it's um it's in collaboration with uh, a, an American poet called Franz Wright who passed away three years ago and so it's this long rambling beautiful Creature of a thing, very moving. Uh, it's full of humour. It's there's there's a sense of um, mortality in the voice of the uh, narrator, and, uh, and very th- uncommercial, and, I suppose. But,
0: but, and, and who narrates it? Is it Sylvian himself, or it's, got the, is it it's the, Franz? It's the, right, it's the poet himself. Yeah. yeah okay. okay. So,
1: but it came out as a David Sylvian album. Um, but it's hard. It's hard to figure where, where one character stops and the other starts in terms of the contributors. I think yeah. uh, it's astonishing. It's just, it's like, it's very cinematic. It's poetry. It's beautiful music, and it's beautifully human.
0: Okay. Well, we're not going to play an hour and four minutes of it, but we'll we'll play part of. There is a light that enters houses with no other houses in sight. music there from David Sylvian the words of France Wright poet taken from a very long piece of music called There is a light that enters houses with no other houses in sight the choice of Adrian Crowley who's with me in studio tonight this gorgeous stuff I'm going to get that
1: yes I love it
0: listen to the full one hour of it and um, David Sylvian people will know uh, in Japan way back, one of the first singles I ever got my hands on was Ghosts, which is an extraordinary yeah. record. Now, that sort of—I'm um, trying to figure out what kind of music you you listen to nowadays. Are you quite? Do, do you, Well, let me put it this way: Do you stray from your own aesthetic very much? For instance, if I was in your house, you know, some evening, would you be playing? I don't know, ABBA. Would you be yes. playing? You would be. Yeah. <laughs> would you be playing? You know. You know what I mean? It, 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 you're, yeah. You know, you're not just going to hear. Um, Bill Callahan.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all um, Also, I mean Say, for instance, if I've been working on writing all day yeah. Or recording or touring or something At the end of the day I want something totally different
0: sure. because, Do you listen to jazz? Do you listen to hip-hop? Do you listen to classical? Uh, Do you listen to
1: actually, it? my son is into hip-hop uh, And I listen to it through him which is a very new experience for me, um, you know, discovering through your own child. <laughs> it's great.
0: And I use the kind bad. of parent who would say, "Turn that racket off," or no would you go, "No, let me, yeah, exactly, no yeah, way. let
1: me hear this." Yeah, so
0: no, I like the way you responded to that. No way.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, maybe there's a reaction. It is, right. it
0: is the worst. You know, it's the worst <laughs> crime. You can't tell your kids to turn off their music. No, uh, unless it's really bad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, um, I I like to think he has great taste. My son and my daughter, my son—he's the older one, so he's more—he's uh, more of a music listener. Plays illin pipes too, so he's got this. He brings—he brought trad into my house. Good stuff. Yeah. You see, so, I, I've met—you know—I've met a surprisingly high number of
0: artists who don't actually listen outside their own. Orbit, and In fact, some of them don't seem particularly interested in anything else apart from what they do themselves. And mm-hmm. maybe that's what it takes in some cases for some people to to make their work, you know. But I know, you know, novelists who don't seem to read other people and yeah. and songwriters who've never even gone back and checked out the legends, you know. It's yeah. kind of an odd thing.
1: I, in a way, I think I'm like that. Um, sometimes I, I, I don't want to listen too much to something that I worry that I might even like too much I know that sounds ridiculous but
0: but you've got I suppose you've got to protect what you do yourself as well you know protect your own
1: yeah because it is a light that's trying to you know yeah glow and uh, it is like I said earlier it's a mysterious light and you don't want to cover it up
0: okay we're getting into murky territory (laughs) your 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 next choice is uh, well quiet life what do you fancy
1: quiet life yeah how about that?
0: Okay, so tell me, um, you've got Blixa Bargeld here, and uh, oh, tell me about Teo Teardo, because somebody else—I uh, may not I even pronouncing mm-hmm. the name correctly—but
1: yeah, I think it's Theo or Theo. Theo. Not, I don't know.
0: Theo yeah. Teardo. Te- yes. Teardo. Someone else recently sent me a link on Spotify to music by this particular person. So, what what can you tell me there? What do you know about?
1: I I know very little about him actually, Theo. But he he composes a lot for film. And I do know that he had something to do with an Irish production recently, uh, but I th- yeah yeah that,
0: I think that that makes sense to me. Now. And I think
1: Killian Murphy was involved in it. <laughs> yes, that makes okay. perfect sense. Yeah, <laughs> okay. And Blixa, I love his voice. You know, uh, he was in the Bad Seeds with Nick Cave for a long time, one of the early members, and also the famous um, semi-industrial. Berlin band with a very long name in Germany I- yeah, <laughs>
0: Einster Einster Neubatten
1: That's the one uh, Demolishing New it's Buildings the one
0: reason I don't play them on the radio is <coughs> so I can't say their name
1: So well They've Blix- got a great that,
0: um, track called Silence is Sexy Do you know that one?
1: Oh yeah I do know That's it That's yeah, an amazing yeah. piece of music Yeah
0: But uh, only for, only I can't pronounce their name I would play it on the radio
1: Einster- <laughs> Oh, I think it's Einster Zende Neubatten Einster Zende Neubatten Yeah
0: Yeah Okay. So, anyway, this isn't them. No, well, <laughs> Blixer sure. was in that band, Here's and, and uh, the old deer, though, we reckon. And that's Colleen. The choice of Adrian Crowley is with me in studio. That uh, Colleen track is called, there's a couple of Colleens out there in the world, but that particular one is on the Leaf record label. And yep. uh, the Golden Morning Breaks from an album called The Golden Morning Breaks. And before that, we had Blixa, Bargelt, and uh, a track called A Quiet Life. Really good, wasn't it? Yeah, I love it's that really one. Good. Thanks for those. Um, there's a couple of things I want to ask you about. You did a bit of acting. That's true. (laughs) You're still at the the acting, Crowley. No, you you did a bit of acting, which again seems like, you know, having set yourself up as a a shy and introspective person, here we are at the acting. So what what happened there?
1: Well, actually, uh, right after I dropped out of college, I went and hired a darkroom where I worked for a year taking pictures, making pictures. And at that time, I hadn't played any gigs, by the way, at this stage, I... I um, joined the Focus Theatre with a uh, Deirdre O'Connell, Yeah. and she took me under her wing. She had plans for me, you know, and I worked hard and I loved it. And then
0: now the Focus, if people don't know it, tiny little theatre, yeah, um, in off Baggett, Baggett Baggett Street somewhere was it somewhere in there?
1: Just around the corner the the from the Fitz Fitzwilliam Square. The name of the street? Yes. Yeah,
0: and I was in it a few times, but was that? Was it that method? What he called it? Yeah, the uh, Stanislavski, Stanislavski studio. Method, yeah. yeah,
1: that's it. It was so intense. I got the shakes, actually. Yeah. Sometimes I wondered: is it, was it because I was scared of Deirdre? No, I'm joking. Uh, I got the shakes uh, many times in there.
0: So, what does the Stanislavski method put you through?
1: It uh, some some people kind of crumble and they end up crying and rolling around and not sure not sure how to pull themselves. Back together afterwards. Is it, uh, is it is
0: it method acting?
1: It is. It's method acting, yeah. in in a real c- kind of pure way. Uh, it's sort of like elemental in a sense. You, the the typical studio, that's what we would call it. The class. Uh, you'd have to if you were if if Deirdre allowed you to come in, it was to watch. You'd have to watch, mm-hmm. observe is the word she used, mm-hmm. for minimum three months. You'd go every week as if you were going to your class, but you would have to just sit down and watch, observe. And eventually, uh, she would point at you and then point at the stage, and then you'd just have to get up on stage and start improvising. Uh, A terrifying idea, I think, Mm -hmm. but amazing. So I did that with her for, I think it was two years. And... uh, then i went to live in france and i started playing gigs
0: so you were, um, you were you were thinking of being an actor then you yes. must have been quite serious about it to put yourself through all that
1: yeah i was i it's i i just decided one day i would have to do one or the other but now i think i can probably try and do both mm. I, I wouldn't mind it uh, i was involved in a film just this year it was finished a feature film um, it's sort of um, a docudrama, so it kind of falls, I think, falls between two disciplines of mm. filmmaking. But there's a lot of drama in it and a lot of acting. It's called The Science of Ghosts. So I got a, a taste for it again. Mm. And did
0: you did you find that experience fed into the, the songwriting in any way or has it contributed in any way to uh, any the other part I, of your life?
1: I don't know, but maybe something, maybe it fed into some of the performance mm. um, where I would be able to go into a state of not really caring about uh, being in front of people. You know what All I mean? Right. Your next choice, Katel
0: um who I used to know quite well, and she's now living abroad and I
1: haven't seen her in a long time. Oh, yeah. She's a close friend. She lives in Cardiff now. And this song was the first song i heard of hers before before years before we ever became friends i never really knew i'd ever meet her you know and uh i was bowled over absolutely bowled over
0: and i remember when she was performing well i don't know how many years ago it is now but there was nobody else like her she was absolutely unique in what she was what she was doing yeah um this is from an album which i like to call jet which song do you want by the way? There you go. Okay. Ketelknig. There you go now. Down. Koenig, there you go from the album Jet, which is the choice of Adrian Crowley who's my guest on on Mystery Train tonight picking all the music. Um what what about the what about the writing, the written word now before you go? What what yes. are, you going, are you going to do something in that direction do you think?
1: I hope so. I put a lot of time into it. I've st- stack of manuscripts that keep shifting around.
0: Now are these uh, are these poems, stories, novels, what are they?
1: I wish I knew. That's that's the one reason why it's taken me so long. I think there are a few things mixed together. I think I might be a little bit hung up on what it should be, you know what I mean? Mm. There's a lot of alternative novels around that incorporate lyrics. Al- and
0: alternative novels usually just means it, it's not really a novel. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's all I need to tell myself. Yeah. So But, uh, yeah, well, good luck if you get into that swim. Thanks.
1: (laughs) Tell you what I need, though. That's all I can say. I just need someone to come to my house, clear up my desk, take all those pages away. I know. And then come back to me and say, there's your book.
0: Feed them into a machine and out it comes the other end. Yeah. Yeah. I thought laptops (laughs) were supposed to do that for you. Can you you get an app for that? we will see. I would have thought. So, well, good luck with all that. Um, The the album, I suppose, uh, it'll be a while before there'll be another one because... Hopefully not too long now.
1: I'm ready. I'm ready. I've written enough for two, I'd say. So Um, I'm going to wait, though, a little bit more. Yeah. And then record it, hopefully, in a short space of time, sometime in 2019.
0: Very good. Well, tell me about your last
1: choice, The Black Crow. Okay. Big song. This song is written by this amazing performer who's no longer with us, Jason Molina who went under the name Song Zahia uh he passed away uh, uh 5 years ago and i i got to know him quite well and uh it's it's difficult for me actually um thinking that he's no longer around but there was this beautiful tribute to him recently a book has come out about his life and there his band have gone on a a tour of America and Europe singing his songs. And recently they came to play in the Tivoli and they asked me to come and sing two of his songs. And I'd been ill for a week and I'd lost my voice. So I had to change, I I had to sing this next song I did a version of, but an octave, maybe two octaves lower than the recording. Uh, I'm not sure how it sounded, but anyway, what a brilliant artist. He left us with some incredible songs, and this is one of them.
0: Adrian, thanks a million for coming in tonight. Uh, thanks for picking all these tracks. We, we brought some some new music into the mix. I'm always grateful for that, so thanks a million. It's an um,
1: absolute pleasure, Thanks John. Adrian. Thank you.
0: And we'll, we'll, we'll see you down the road. Thanks, Adrian. This is uh, The Black Crow, Jason Molina, Songs of higher.
1: You've been listening to a podcast of Mystery Train with John Kelly. Mystery Train hits the rails every Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on 96-99 to RTE Lyric FM.